Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined as always by Travis Ryer, the longtime analyst, senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. You can get Talking Tide wherever you prefer to get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, YouTube Live, Facebook Live. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking underscore Tide. So give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a follow in those places, and you can follow along with Alabama football throughout the 2023 season with twice-weekly podcasts right here from Talking Tide. want to quickly thank a couple of sponsors, Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Government Square in Tuscaloosa, and, of course, Caldera Men's Skin Care. More on them a little later in the program. Travis, we uh, – well, first of all, uh, briefly apologize to our listeners. Our normal Sunday podcast didn't go off. Thanks to yours truly. I was all ready to rock in uh, the fine meeting room at the Tampa Bush Gardens Hampton Inn Sunday afternoon before I had to take away, uh, before I had to go to the airport and uh, the Wi-Fi signal was a little wonky. And so we decided to just go ahead and uh, pull the plug and do the recap podcast here on a Monday, Travis, which has thankfully afforded us the benefit of a little extra news, right? Because Nick Saban with a, a press conference around lunchtime, as he always does on Monday, and came straight with it on the quarterback situation, Travis. Jalen Milrow reinserted, reestablished, and uh, back in the number one seat at that position after being the, the number three guy against USF. Yeah, up and down week, to say the least, for Jalen Milrow. Came off that up and down performance against Texas. Sounds like, according to Nick anyway, didn't maybe respond to some of the plans that Nick had for the quarterback situation going into USF week. But listening to Nick on Monday, apparently Milrow checked some leadership boxes in not playing. Uh, but I think it was very telling. I think Nick Saban understands the rest of this team is looking at him right now and saying, or thinking, we're three games into this. We're going into SEC play. Who the hell is our quarterback, coach? And it's time to make a call. And Nick did have the benefit of seeing all three of these guys uh, in competitive situations uh, in two of the three games anyway. And so uh, it's Jalen Milrow. Is it Jalen Milrow for the rest of the season? I think that's what Nick hopes at this point, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, what I wrote about following the news conference, Travis, was was not so much the decision itself because I think that was pretty plainly obvious. You don't have to be a football expert to know that after watching three games, Jalen Milrow is, is Alabama's best option. But the timing of it, definitely curious. We normally see, whether it's quarterback or offensive guard or any position, where there's a question as to who might be the starter Typically, what we see from Nick Saban is, well, we'll see how they practice, right? That's what he'll tell you on a Monday on such things uh, most of the time. You might hear something from him on his Thursday night radio show that gives you a little clue. Uh, maybe he says something pregame radio on Saturday. Maybe he says nothing at all. Uh, but in this case, uh, he came right out with it on Monday. Wasn't even at, didn't even wait to be asked. It was part of his, yeah, yeah, opening statement. And uh, I, I can't help but think, Travis, that this has something to do with the mindset, not only for Milro, but the team, too, uh, to know going into this from the outset of the practice week that this is our guy. Yeah, that wasn't an accident. 
Monday that Nick unsolicitedly offered that up because he was ultra tight lipped with it right up and through right up through Saturday's game in Tampa. So he gets it from a team dynamic perspective. It's interesting though because you know back in 2015 Ole Miss came to town for the SEC opener in Tuscaloosa and Alabama was still unsettled. So maybe this is uh, a learning experience that Nick had and in, in going with Cooper Bateman in that game. Uh, kind of messing around with that situation going into SEC play, you end up losing that game. But Jake Coker uh, established himself on as a guy, and that team went on to a national championship. I'm not, I'm not there yet with this team, though. If it were as simple as quarterback, maybe. But I think as we're going to talk about, uh, they've got other issues to deal with as well. Yeah, they absolutely do, especially uh, on the offensive side of the ball. One of our uh, viewers asking now, is Ty Simpson the number two at this point? Travis, I think if you base it off the USF game, I think yeah. you'd have to say probably is. Yeah, I think so. I think he handled the moment uh, a little bit better than Tyler Buckner, which surprised me because I know it was kind of mop-up duty against Middle Tennessee, but, man, Buckner looked really confident, um, really capable in that performance in the season opener. So you figured that would translate into a start. Uh, but some nervy throws right out the gate. I thought Ty came in. Uh, he was a little bit unsteady himself, but in that fourth quarter when that offense started to seem to be hitting its stride, mostly because of the run game, but he had the explosive play to C.J. Dupree. Uh, I agree. I, I think right now you have to think it's it's Ty Simpson. And now, whatever you think of your number three, maybe it's Dylan Lonergan that you move up a spot and start really trying to – integrate him more into the offense and not so much from a scout team perspective week to week. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch as well. I think, you know, obviously Buckner's run uh, was was uh, weak to say the least. I think he had five possessions. They all ended in a punt. He did not look comfortable. Uh, it, it was There were accuracy issues for sure. Um, he just, he just did not look comfortable back there at all. I will say this, if there's one thing you can say about Ty, Tyler Buckner's performance, all five of USF's sacks came on Simpson, but Simpson isn't the only one that got heat, right? So Buckner definitely has, I, I think, an, an understanding and probably a better understanding than, you know, if we're just basing it off the USF game, seems like he's got a real good understanding about getting the ball out quick when, when, <laughs> when the pass rush is on top of him, right? Uh, sometimes too quick, maybe, and sometimes maybe not to the right guy. Uh, but, you know, there, there, was a, there was definitely a sense of urgency for Buckner to, to get the ball out that maybe we don't see so much from Milrow or Simpson. Yeah, I think, too, it's th that might be the what-if game uh, of Tyler Buckner's Alabama career because second quarter, he had a couple opportunities on some intermediate to deep throws, maybe a little bit late and underthrown to Isaiah Bond on that deep out route where they had some space. And then the post to Jermaine Burton where he just misses him. The ball in the air looks great. Looks like it's going to be a touchdown. It goes off the fingertips of Burton. So yeah, I think you will probably a lot of people won't think about it much. I won't, but, when you think about that performance, what if, especially the deep ball to Burton, if he hits that one, does that settle him? Does it settle the offense? Who knows where they go from there? Offensively for Alabama, we'll go ahead and expand it out, take a look at this USF game. Travis, obviously it was a, a disastrous performance by the Alabama offensive line. They did manage to pull it together as a run-blocking unit toward the end of the game. 
but it, in what should have been a get right game, there's no other way to describe it than a mess. And, and uh, one of the things that struck me, and, and this is, you know, this isn't just the offense, this is overall, but to win that game by two touchdowns is pretty remarkable. You wouldn't know it was a two touchdown win for either team. If you'd have looked at some of these team stats, Travis, just to run down how close things were. All right. You first downs 16 to 14 Alabama's favor total offense, 310 to 264 Alabama's favor. But what was that before Royda Williams ripped off a 48 yarder at the end of the game? Right. I mean, that was basically even until the very end sacks five each penalties, five each fumbles lost one each uh, third down conversions, Alabama, uh, five of 15 USF five of 17 I mean, this game in a lot of pretty important, uh, by the way, time of possession, almost dead, even too. I think T.O.P. was within 30 seconds of being even. So in, in every respect, this game, uh, while it might not should have been tight at all, it, it, it was it was very much so. Yeah, by the numbers, but again, Alabama had some opportunities. The deep ball to Burton that they missed on by just inches. You lost a kickoff return to a touchdown on a penalty with Terry and Arnold. Uh, so it, it just – I know the score was close and the numbers were close. I never felt like Alabama was threatened in the game, but then I look up with about six minutes to go. USF is only down seven with the ball inside the Alabama 45, right? Right. So <laughs> – it just didn't have the feel, uh, and, and that's how you lose games. I get it. You, you kind of go through them thinking, ah, we'll be okay. And then the next thing you know, uh, you're either down a field goal or you're going into overtime and you're you're reeling now. So uh, it was one of those kind of games. Uh, I know Nick, based on his comments Monday, hoping that there's carryover, especially with that run game. Uh, I think there needs to be. That or you're going back to Milrow in large part two, because when you talk about explosive play capability and potential, I think we saw in his two starts that it's a good bit greater with him than it is with either Buckner or Simpson. Simpson did a nice job against USF. Two and a half quarters of action. He had one run of 10 yards or more, and he had one completion of 15 yards or more. You look at Jalen's numbers, those turnovers are problematic, no doubt about it. But if you want to talk about explosive play ability and scoring ceiling for this offense, I don't see how you don't go back to Jalen Milrow. Yeah, that, that's definitely a factor. Milrow can can make the big play. I, I think we've, we've, we've seen his deep ball enough to know that he can be dangerous with that. And obviously, he's dangerous with his legs, which leads me to the fact that he's also the best choice, Travis, if your prep, if your pass protection is a mess as it is at this point for the Crimson Tide, you need as much escapability as you can get at that quarterback position. And Milrow is clearly better than Buckner or Simpson in that regard. He can turn a potential sack into a positive play and sometimes a hugely positive play when he just tucks it and goes. And so I think if you're Alabama and you you factor that in as well. This uh, this was definitely an easy decision. I think so. Um, but, you know, I also think uh, my thoughts on how you're going to utilize Jalen Milrow in this offense haven't changed based on today's news. You know, because Nick Saban is, was adamant about what he said today, that doesn't make me think Jalen Milrow is any closer to being Bryce Young uh, than he was before today. 
and I and I get it in comparison to Buckner and Simpson as far as explosive playability, both as a passer and a runner. Uh, he's shown to be more of that guy. I still think, though, they have got to maintain a run threat with him on almost every snap if they're going to maximize his effectiveness. If you're Pete Golding this week, you're hoping that Alabama leans on Milrow to be more like Bryce Young than, say, Jalen Hurts from sure. 2016. You would love that to be the case. Yeah, this offense has got to play downhill as much as it can, Travis. Power, they got to do more in the running game. There's no question about that. I think there's potential for that, right? I don't know what the potential is with the pass protection. It could be problematic all season. I do think this offensive line can do better, and it's worth noting that one of their very best players, Tyler Booker, was out for that USF game with back spasms. I do think they can run the ball better. They've got to do that, and Milrow's got to be a part of that, right? Design runs, whether it's the read option stuff, I don't care, but he's he's got to be involved. Every play, he has to be a threat. Drop Straight dropbacks and things like that, unless it's the quick game and you already have a predetermined read where he goes with the ball or takes off, I don't want to see any more empty. I don't want to see five-man protections from this team. They struggle with seven- and eight-man protections against USF. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. They have to, for them to come close to sniffing Atlanta in early December, they have to reach their full potential as a run offense. And in part because this offensive line is so massive that if they are in obvious pass situations, even with some help, you got guys getting beat by quickness and speed and athleticism. All these – all these numbers and these comparisons to NFL offensive line sizes, they don't mean nothing if you can't run the football. Yeah. Because the other side of that is you're probably not going to be as good in obvious passing situations if you're in third and eight, third and ten, and it requires time for routes to develop, and the quarterback needs to be able to sit in there for two Mississippi, three Mississippi. This group has shown you zero in the way of the ability uh, of sustaining that. And that's with Tyler Booker. And I understand they are better with Tyler Booker. But, you know, Terrence Ferguson's been around for three years now. That wasn't another true freshman they plug and played with on Saturday. And and it's not just Terrence Ferguson Saturday that was their issue. And they continue to have issues along the offensive line. And then in pass protection, tight ends at times are a little leaky. Running backs at times are a little leaky. So, yeah, that, that drive there in the – I guess late third into the fourth uh, where they got Dupree going and then they got Roydell going. That's who they've always needed to be. And then attach the quarterback to that with the threat of both run and pass. Yeah, to one of your points, I texted a buddy of mine from the airport in Tampa on Sunday and I, and I told him, I, I said, they ought to just rip everything in the playbook from the empty set, just rip it out uh, <laughs> and, and don't even look at, unless maybe it's a quarterback draw yeah. Uh, sh short of that, I don't. I don't know why you'd call anything uh, with with an empty set at this point because uh, they just they yeah, just when they when they protect. motion the back out and go empty, there's an audible gasp in the words of Patterson Hood. You know, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, talk about pinning your ears back. You know, when you see that as a defense, it's, well, and uh, the guy the guy Evans for South Florida Saturday, you know, props to him. He had a big game. 
But he was never concerned about the quarterback run until Ty kept it off his own read. And they mm-hmm. caught Evans inside, and Ty was able to pick up six or seven yards right. there in the fourth quarter. And you got to keep these defenses balanced, man, especially when you have a guy that can do it. No question. All right, kind of lost in all this, Travis. Was an outstanding performance by the Alabama defense. Gave up three points against the South Florida Bulls. Uh, carried the team on a day when it needed to be carried by somebody. The defense stepped up to that task. Uh, They ended up getting um, a lot of plays in the backfield, five sacks. Dallas Turner, an especially big game, I think he had two and a half. You commented, I think, in the midweek or last week ahead of this South Florida game that you expected to see Alabama, uh, which didn't do anything to Texas in terms of negative plays, kind of turn that around against U.S. and be disruptive in the backfield, Uh, especially in pass rush. We definitely saw more of that. Yeah, we did. Again, as we talked about last week, I mean, Florida A&M had 13 tackles for loss against USF in six sacks. So, you know, if you don't kind of hit five sacks and 10 tackles for loss and you're Alabama, um, you're going to be a little concerned. But they did what they needed to do. And I thought as much as anything, the intensity was good from the opening snap. Uh, It felt like the defense took some ownership some accountability for, okay, we understand that the quarterback situation and the offense might be a bit of a wreck right now. We're okay with that. We'll carry things until those areas can get up to speed. So that was good to see. Um, and, and, you know, they, they were able to, to do what they needed to do and, and, and contain Brown enough, although you still had a couple of those third and long, second and longs that drive you crazy where he breaks contain and, you know, I think it's getting to the point, similar chase to the quarterback situation, that inside linebacker spot opposite Deontay Lawson need to get that figured out. You know, I, I don't know how long you can keep going with playing three guys. I, I, I don't I don't see that as being beneficial to the defense as a whole. I don't either. Uh, definitely when Brown decided to go ahead and break for it, Alabama had trouble containing him. There were a lot of missed tackles in that regard. Um, maybe caught some, some guys caught out of position. He was able to convert a couple of big first downs. Um, probably not the greatest game for Jihad Campbell, certainly, uh, at one of those linebacker positions. And so, um, he and, he and Marshall, yeah, you, you may see that thing settle down, settle into one guy pretty soon. I, I, I think, I think you're right. I think it might benefit the team if so. Yeah. And, you know, understanding Jihad had a, an injury you know, going into the season that he's still trying to work through. So perhaps if that hadn't happened, uh, he would be the guy and and we wouldn't be having this discussion. But, you know, I thought the defensive line was fine. Um, it kind of is what it is, especially without Jaheim Otis. It was good to see some young guys get some opportunities. James Smith had a big fumble recovery. And in a game in which you expected your edge guys to have big games, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, uh, Quindarius Robinson. I thought they all did that. All right. The Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Going to thank a couple of sponsors here really quickly. Going to start by telling you all about Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa, recently named by the Alabama News Center as one of the top pizzerias in the entire state. Also, a favorable rating from Dave Portnoy, the Barstool Sports mogul, dropped in on Heat a couple weeks ago. 
had a positive review as well. And, you know, Frank Fleming's staff over there just does a great job, not only with the pizzas, but the salads, the appetizers. They've got a full bar over there, super atmosphere, easy parking as always. It's right there where the public parking garage is in Government Square. You can't beat it. And they've got some daily specials too, including that Thursday special from 2 to 6 p.m. You can get a pepperoni pizza for just 8 bucks. And $3 off on cocktails between 11 a.m. and 10 p.m. Downtown Government Square. Remember, it's Heat Pizza Bar. Going to tell you about Peter Brook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Sweet 16, Peter Brook Chocolatier. You got a home game weekend coming up. You got that tailgate. You got that watch party. They're all incomplete. Without Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, they can do the party trays now. They can do chocolate pizzas for you. They can do those chocolate footballs. Make Peter Brook Chocolatier the hit of your game day get-together, party, tailgate, you name it. It's Peter Brook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Finally, going to tell you about Caldera Men's Skincare. Available now to our listeners at a discount with the promo code TIDE. Just go to calderalab.com slash TIDE and get a 20% discount. Now, if you live in Alabama, the sun can be awful hard on your face. You got to take care of it. I've been working with Caldera here over the last several weeks since they sent Travis and I uh, a package of four products. One of them, the Clean Slate of course, is an outstanding morning cleanser. They've got a base layer that's more of a moisturizer. They've got the icon for those bags under the eyes and the good. They work together as a team. It's an outstanding line of products. Check them all out at calderalab.com slash Tide. And again, Caldera offering 20% off to our listeners with the discount code Tide, T-I-D-E. Once again, uh, it's calderalab.com slash Tide. All right, Travis. Uh, before we close things out here on the program, a look back around the Southeastern Conference. Definitely the big game, Florida and Tennessee. The balls go down to Gainesville. And the Swamp just does something to those balls, Travis. It's a tough place for them. Uh, and they got upset. Uh, really a signature win for Billy Napier. His biggest win yet. I don't think there's any question about it. And one that Billy Napier absolutely needed uh in terms of the capital he's got with that gator fan base absolutely especially when you're writing that platform of program builder which is all well and good in napier by all accounts especially when looking at this 2024 class in a great spot on the recruiting trail but you still got to be able to mix in a game or two of hope for the fan base that keeps them going between the recruiting classes and that's exactly what he got saturday night uh, Graham Mertz, you talk about transfer portal guys, been huge for Florida coming in at the quarterback position, but it's still largely about the improvement that that team's made on the defensive side of the ball. How about Austin Armstrong, the brief linebackers coach at Alabama, now the D.C. at Florida doing some good things. And then those running backs, that tandem that Florida has in the backfield with Etienne leading the way, uh, very dynamic in that regard. Fisticuffs toward the end of that one. We heard about some suspensions come down right before we went on the air here, Travis. The SEC announced that uh, four or five guys, most of them, I believe, Gators, are going to be sitting out a half. As it turns out, uh, both teams are going to be taking on 
non-conference foes this coming week uh, where they uh, the, the suspension losses likely won't be missed. But, uh, hey, when uh, when guys start dropping gloves out there, Travis, and uh, looking like Mike Tyson on each other, <laughs> that could be fun. Yeah, it did get a little chippy there at the end. I think Heupel was using some timeouts or something, and it's like, get the game over, man. It's yeah. over. Go to the, get on the bus, go to the airport, back to East Tennessee. LSU absolutely blasted Mississippi State in Starkville, Georgia, got by South Carolina by 10. Uh, once again, Travis, and this isn't the first time we've seen this this year, the Bulldogs uh, came out kind of flat. Uh, and uh, things were looking really hairy with uh, the Gamecocks at halftime, but pulled it together in the second half and, and got it done. They did. Uh, methodical. Reminiscent again of Alabama of old. Even when Alabama in years past would come out a little bit on the flat side, maybe not prolific offensively, that war of attrition eventually takes over against a team like Georgia, and they end up, uh, what, outscoring – South Carolina 21 nothing the rest of the way. So uh, that was relative to a lot of the teams coming up on Georgia's schedule. That was a hurdle, although the cocktail party now. The cocktail party looks a little bit bigger yes. after that Florida win over Tennessee. No doubt about it. All right, before we get out of here on the Talking Tide podcast, going to give that two-deep tumbler a quick spin, see who comes out of it. Uh, the tumbler, as we have learned, Travis, has a way of yeah. – springing names uh yeah, got that, his safety goggles on that yeah. we've talked that we've talked about it's attacked by the tumbler there we go we're pulling number 22 that would be justice haynes, haynes the freshman running back for the crimson tide who uh as we know travis was pretty well hyped along with caleb downs as one of the top early enrollers in spring practice Really haven't seen a lot of them so far this season. It's going to be interesting to see if he's able to work his way into the into the rotation, but so far, not not so much. I think he can pass protect, so that alone should put him in the mix. And you know what else? We didn't talk about the snuff of that USF fake punt to this point, and Justice Haynes was right in the middle of that on the punt return team for Alabama. I thought Malik Benson, Quandarius Robinson, and Justice Haynes – uh, did a nice job on that play. Justice Haynes looked like a legit defensive player. He got his head across to the outside on trying to on making that tackle. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's he's going to eventually surface. I mean, if anything, injuries uh, tell us in the past that you're going to need more than two or three guys, and I think he's capable enough as it is. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. want to thank our viewers and listeners. Be sure to check us out again a little bit later in the week when we preview Alabama's upcoming home game against the Ole Miss Rebels. Until then, we'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.